Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each Saturday morning at 7.30, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the low country talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life now your hosts of beyond the business eric cox and leslie haywood great saturday morning low country welcome to another edition of beyond the business heard exclusively here on 94.3 wsc every saturday morning as well as podcasts simply go to coastalwn.com click on the radio icon and listen to all the great podcasts of entrepreneurship and leadership for the last, I don't know, five years or so here in the Low Country, I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cox. We have a full slate and a full room this morning. Welcome, guys. Yeah, thank you uh, for having us here again, Eric. Good to see you. And I'm Leslie Haywood, and thank you for sharing our sat- your Saturday morning with us. And to continue the fun beyond Saturday morning, make sure and find us on Facebook at Beyond the Business. And talk to us on Twitter at BTBCHS. Use the hashtag BTBCHS, and you can't help but find us. Hard to believe, guys. Here we are in mid-February. Hopefully, everybody had a happy Valentine's Day this past Thursday. And well, I did. It. I just got some champagne-flavored chocolates. The, That's it's just beautiful. Like and amazing. amazing right there. I, I didn't know such a thing I existed. I love it. I know. It's an amazing yeah, they week. They look pretty enticing just sitting right in front of me. Those, teasing. those look good. Yeah. Those look good. What a, an amazing week in Charleston. Certainly, the weather has turned nice here as the week has gone along. And uh, Valentine's Day, again, hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day. And I have to get a plug in this morning because we had an amazing occurrence happen in the world of local sixth grade girls basketball. Yes, this is monumental. <laughs> the PCA, was... Palmetto Christian Academy Eagles. Love it. Whom I happen to coach, won the championship. Congratulations to those girls. Amazing girls, a great season. And I'm just so proud of them. And have to give a special shout out to my daughter Annabelle. Very proud of her for a great season and game. <coughs> proud coach, right? All right. Well, I guess we'll turn our gears to entrepreneurship now. Yeah, let's talk about some entrepreneurship. <clears throat> so last week, uh, Byron, we had Owen Kokinda on, who's um, with K9 Control Training here in Charleston. Neat story, by the way. Uh, what was the takeaway or two you had from his show? Yeah, I mean, absolutely fascinating just to hear his background and all the adversity that he had to go through to get to where he is today. And uh, two big takeaways. The first was persistency, and that's one of the big common denominators I think we see when we talk to all the entrepreneurs on this show. And it didn't matter what roadblock he ran into, he was he was stubborn. He went right through it, and you know, Looking at where he is today is a testament of just overcoming adversity and persistency. And um, I love his quote, by the way. He said, I've always worked too hard to not do something for myself. Great quote. Yeah. And, I, and I love to be that an entrepreneur, quote. Right? I love that quote. And another thing he said, just to uh, hop on the quote train, is he said to when you're hiring people, make sure you hire people that are good at what you suck at. Yeah, that that's, I guess, a good way to put it, too, isn't it? That's right. So surround yourself with folks who do things better than you do, and that certainly uh, is a common thing I think we've heard week in and week out from our entrepreneurs on this show is uh, really who they've surrounded themselves with is a huge credit to their success. So, uh, again, uh, great show. If you missed it, simply go to our website at coastalwm.com. Click on the radio icon. You can listen to uh, Owen's show as well as, I don't know, gosh, 
shows going back five years running. How many is on there now? There's a lot. So, um, and we're going to turn our attention now, of course, to another show, another great entrepreneur with another great story. We're excited to have Mr. Josh Watts, CEO at MedTrust Holdings, here in the studio. Josh, welcome. Oh, good morning. Thanks so much. Are you ready to get fired up this morning and tell us all about your life and your story? Yeah, ready ready as we'll ever be, right? Good, good. Well, hopefully everybody has their coffee ready to roll. I'm ready. All right. All right. So now before, you know, we like to take things way back because after all, this is beyond the business. People you know, stories you don't. And some of those go back to childhood. But right. before we do that, give us a little elevator pitch, 30-second commercial about your business, who you are, and what you do right now. Right. So uh, MedTrust Holdings is, is really just kind of the parent of uh, MedTrust Medical Transport, which is a private ambulance business based here in Charleston. Um, we really cover from the Colleton County area all the way up to the North Carolina line. We have seven base locations and just over 200 employees. Um, we started in 2012, uh, and as we sit right now, um, our primary business is in service to hospitals. So we move patients between hospitals and from hospitals. Great. Well, we're certainly looking forward to hearing a lot more about the business today and all the great things you're doing. I know you guys have grown quite a bit. Sure. But as always, there's a story before the story. Right. So speaking of the story before the story, why don't you take us back to the beginning? Tell us where you grew up and what was family life like? Right. So I I grew up in uh, a very small town in the center part of the state uh, called Dalzell. The only claim to fame for Dalzell that anybody else would know is that uh, it's where Ray Allen is from. So the basketball player that's, uh, you know, I think he's either in the Hall of Fame or will be, uh, is from that area. Dalzell is in Sumter County. So generally I answer I'm from Sumter because that's what people know. Um, grew up there, went to a small private school, um, really from, from preschool through 12th grade. So, uh, we, we grew up coming down here and playing Porter Gowd and our girls played Ashley Hall and, you know, all of those things. Just in case uh, you wanted, we beat both of those. I just wanted to get that out there. Absolutely. <laughs> that's great. Oh my God. Are we going to have to listen to this all day? Got to glow just a little day. bit. All yes. day long. Yes. Oh. I'm so excited. Sorry. No, and I'm sorry to all That will all not be the last of all. Porter Gowd folks. You're awesome. Yeah. Y'all were great sportsmen. So sorry about that. Just got No, no, no. That's great. So I, I grew up uh, at a really small private school. I mean, I graduated with 27 people. Uh, so very wow. small, uh, it's bigger now, but it was, uh, small, very close, have stayed in touch necessarily because of that with a lot of the folks that I graduated uh, with and, uh, kind of, if you are athletic and go to a small school, you play everything. So I played uh, basketball and baseball and football and, you know, filled in in tennis when they were down and ran a couple of track events and kind of did everything. And, uh, also was really involved in in the arts and chorus and all those things. So. A renaissance man. Look at yeah. that. Yeah, it's kind of Very cool to say to people, yeah, I was in the top 25 of my class and everything that I did. That's yes. right. Yes, Everything. Yes. Exactly. It's pretty hard not to do. you were number right. 25. <laughs> That's right. Number 25 in my class. That's right. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your family at that time, uh, profession, sure. mom and dad, what was going on. Right. So my uh, I grew up in a house where my father never worked for anyone other than his father. So uh, my granddad uh, had a construction company, uh, did water, sewer, infrastructure type construction, actually built the runway at Shaw Air Force Base. That was a, a, the first big job for his company in Sumter. And um, so uh, throughout school, my mom uh, worked some uh, administrative capacities. And then as we got really involved as kids, she was she was really there for us, both parents 
never missed anything. And the, the older I get and have, have children now, just recognizing how difficult that is, especially as an entrepreneur, um, it just gets more and more valuable the older you get and realizing that. So, uh, uh, my, my dad though, um, went to Wofford and, and played baseball at Wofford and, uh, left, uh, without graduating from Wofford to go back and help run the family business. And, uh, so as a kid, my visions of dad were, um, coming in with jeans and boots and mud everywhere and, and literally stripping on the back porch because mom wouldn't let him in the house and, <laughs> you know, uh, very hardworking and, and, um, you know, again, having a, a business now, the thing that really stands out is, you know, those workers were family and they, uh, we're with, uh, the company for, for decades and, and in a construction business, that's pretty rare, um, to do. So that was really the example that I have was, that was a, a dad that, um, you know, worked very, very, uh, hard and we had a great, great home life. And so in those early years, let's say high school, what yeah. was one of your first jobs? Did your dad recruit you into the business? And what did what did, <laughs> what did he enlist you for? Uh, he always said that, uh, he didn't want me to dig ditches. And uh, so what he did was made me dig ditches. Right? So, <laughs> so, so he made you dig yeah, ditches young so yeah. that you knew when you grew up that right. wasn't something you wanted to do. Well, right. And I think it was it was neat because I a couple of summers worked for him and then I ended up working for my grandfather because I was always involved in the summer with sports and things like that. So, um, you know, I was able to see pretty quickly that uh, in order to, to actually get ahead in life you you it's not easy i mean you've got to work and i saw that sacrifice daily and and uh but at the same time the sacrifice was working hard it wasn't the family wasn't being sacrificed so that was that's just how i'm wired because that's what i saw demonstrated and oftentimes uh, we see them one of the toughest things in the world of entrepreneurship is finding balance so learning those lessons young i'm sure were tremendous right and i I would say balance is is a interesting term to use because you can't. I don't believe that there's a fifty fifty to anything in life. It's it's a hundred hundred or hundred plus, just like in marriage. I mean, it's it's the same sort of mindset. And I think you you just have to work harder at both things. You don't get to say I've got a hundred percent of me, and you get fifty percent, and you get fifty percent. Um, if you're going to own a business and 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 grow that business and and also have a good family life, it it takes more work. Period. And there's timing on that, right? There's times sure. where you're 80, 90 one way, and then Correct. there's other times you're 80, 90 the other. And Correct. consistency of, of balance is a, a challenge. And certainly, I think for all the years we've been doing this show, that one area that uh, I think every entrepreneur still struggles with in trying to figure out what is that optimum mix of balance. So, And it changes over time, and yeah. it changes in the life cycle of your business yeah. and all those things. Sure. So you, uh, you went to Clemson, come out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about your studies at Clemson, and then as you were coming out, what was the vision? What were you going to go do? Right. So I started Clemson uh, in political science pre-law. Um, everybody said I could argue and I could talk. I should be a lawyer. So uh, I ended up spending some time um, around – uh, criminal law. I, I felt like if I was going to be a lawyer, I wanted to be in the courtroom. And uh, I saw some things that changed that um, decision very quickly. And so I kind of moved away from political science into a management degree with a uh, I had a double minor in piano and vocal performance. Oh, wow. So, a Renaissance man. Look yeah. At that. I love love music. So you really can and sing. You were so really uh, yeah. that. Yeah, maybe I used to be able to, I don't <laughs> get to do it much be careful. Anymore. We might put you on a spot here early yeah. on a Saturday hey, morning. Hey, you never know. Right. <laughs> um, so 
so at Clemson, I was really kind of in that business track and, um, you know, was in a fraternity and, um, probably a, a fairly normal, you know, college life, I guess you could say. And, uh, graduated, uh, with that degree in management, but I really, I loved people. So I ended up kind of on the human resource side of management, even though I never really wanted to do quote unquote human resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my first job after Clemson was actually working with uh, a company in Greenville, uh, called Aerotech, which is a uh, recruiting firm. Uh, at the time, it was the largest privately held recruiting firm in the country. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Boiler Room. Um, it was Boiler Room. It was a bunch of 22 to 25-year-old folks that were um, typically had a lot of competition in their background. So athletes and you know, it, it very intense and you had to make 100 phone calls a day wow. and you had to, you know, it didn't matter how long you worked. There was a job to do and you couldn't leave until it was done. So that was my first, you know, exposure to post-college work life was a, a boiler room, you know, mentality. It was so much fun. I was recruiting for um, companies like Lockheed Martin and uh, Gulfstream and Boeing. I was in their aviation division. And so, I mean, as a 22-year-old, to get to be around airplanes was really cool, especially growing up near Shaw Air Force Base. Yeah. And so with that work experience, with that first work experience, did that kind of inspire you that you wanted to move away from that and follow in the entrepreneurial footsteps? Or at that point, were you like, oh, this corporate thing, I'm digging this? Uh, No, I never really liked the corporate thing at all. (laughs) Um, But um, as I look back, that job as a Sentinel you know, point or an inflection point, um, again, taught you to work very, very hard and everyone around you was working very hard. Um, what really happened was September 11th. So when September 11th happened, um, all of our contractors got the opportunity to go work overseas tax free. So, you know, immediately you go from 200 people that you were kind of responsible for to 40. And so our compensation was tied to number of contractors. Our responsibilities were. So I moved into, at that point, a different division, which was the environmental division, uh, which dealt with civil engineers and structural engineers and um, surveyors and things like that. And that was really the first time that I reconnected with my with my dad's background of construction and, you know, watching things get built, which I was always fascinated by. And um, at that point, I picked up. both recruiting and sales responsibilities. So you would have to sell a company to use the service and then fill the position. And that also is the first thing that, that expanded me outside of Greenville and brought Charleston and the coast into my footprint. So I was traveling quite a bit to this area. And, and, you know, if you grow up in South Carolina, if you can end up in Charleston, you do. Right. So that was that was the All first time. All roads lead to Charleston, right? For everyone these days. And by the way, in case you just joined us and wondering whose voice that is that you're listening to, it's Mr. Josh Watts, who is the CEO of MedTrust Medical Transport here in Charleston. And Josh, as you're telling the story of kind of uh, evolving through this profession in a corporate environment. Right. Um, you just led up to sort of you landed in Charleston. Talk about the right. evolution of you getting here and then changing careers. Sure. So I was still in a Greenville office, but covering Charleston. And I met my now wife who was in pharmaceutical sales. And uh, quite frankly, she was making way more money than I was working less hours. But she was very, very good at it. And she said, you know, you really should look at pharmaceutical sales. And is this our way to get to Charleston? And um I grew up where sales was kind of a dirty word. Um, it wasn't, you know, it was 
things that you may equate with uh, less than desirable activities, I guess you could say. And I said, I'm really not in sales. I don't know if I'm a sales guy. And she said, you're moving people from sometimes across the country by phone. That is sales. And so um, and so I agreed with her. And, and uh, as you should, right, as we I should. Do. And I started looking uh, looking at opportunities in Charleston and, and ended up picking up uh, a first pharmaceutical sales position. Uh, covering really east of 95 from Hilton Head to Myrtle Beach. And then she was able to transfer down a little bit later uh, with her company. And, and so I was in pharma. That was my first exposure really to the medical, medical side. Thing. And what um, I'm a I'm a sensitive guy. You mentioned, you know, the music, music and everything. And what attracted me to medical medical things was, you know, the patient. And unfortunately, pharmaceutical sales is is really not about that as much as you would like to think. It's about lunch and samples. And, uh, so although I was good at it and it wasn't very difficult, um, it was a big disconnect, um, from, a, um, I guess some morals and ethics and, you know, all of those things, but also it was golden handcuffs. I mean, who in the world else is going to pay you that much money to deliver lunch and samples? Um, so that would have been about probably 2002 to 2004. And I literally had a, had this moment where I was uh, delivering lunch and samples to a doctor's office and I walked in and if you can picture it, the the doctor who I was calling on, her back was to me. She was standing in the break room facing her uh, staff and she said, doesn't this guy know we don't care what drug he has as long as he got our effing lunch right? Wow. And so that was it. You know, I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, you know what? I'm done. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm done. I'm leaving. I'm calling my boss when I walk out the door. I'm driving back to Charleston and giving them their car and everything back. I'm done. And she had the nerve to say, what about my lunch? I said, you're kidding me. <laughs> so so I, I walked out with two big bags of lunch, and I walked next door to a dermatologist's office that I had no idea who they were. I dropped it on their desk, and I uh, you know, got in the car. And um, So I called my wife first and uh we didn't have you know kids yet at that point or and she had a great job and um you know which was very much a blessing at the time but uh i said i i just quit (laughs) and what do you mean you know i mean what what are you gonna do i'm not quite sure yet i'm gonna call my dad so she wasn't all that happy and i called my dad and and uh he said, son, what are you thinking? And I had maybe 10 minutes to think at this point. And I said, uh, dad, I think I want to be a real estate developer. And he laughed so hard <laughs> that he accidentally hung the star tack up. You know, that was what he was talking <laughs> to me on. And, um, and we, and he called me back and, and said, son, do you have money that I don't know about? And I said, no. And he goes, well, uh, why real estate development? I said, you know, I'm just fascinated. I watch you take, you know, hundred acres of trees and turn it into a development. And, you know, that's really cool. And he goes, well, there's only two ways to learn how to be a developer. You either learn how to sell the product or you learn how to build the product. And I think you worked in a ditch long enough to know you don't want to, you know, dig ditches and build the product. And, and so I got my real estate license and, um, uh, was a guy here locally, uh, Geddes Glaze, um, who I think has been on the show. He has been, yeah. And uh, Geddes' brother lived in Sumter and knew my knew my dad. And so we got connected. And Geddes and, and uh, Billy Schumann had just started a company here, a local company. I was really wanting to be 
part of something smaller because I don't like big corporate things. And uh, I was the first agent with a company called Sandlapper Real Estate. And, and we were in a little office at Two Carriage Lane and in West Ashley and, uh, you know, kind of a boiler room again. We were just starting and um, you know, started selling real estate. And, and I, there was a little bit of a transition period, um, but not long. I mean, it was selling real estate in Charleston in 2004. I mean, it, it was you a good place to lose. You couldn't lose back no. in the day. And yeah. there were a lot of idiots doing it. So if right. you weren't an idiot, you know, you, you were. You could make money. You could, you could make money. So it was interesting. That, and that, so that, that took me, um, maybe a year or so, year and a half of your normal buying and selling houses. Um, I loved people, but I like people that I know. And, uh, I never really, loved um uh meeting a stranger or, or riding around with them on the weekend looking at properties <laughs> so um so i really started focusing on key um relationships less of them but doing more business with them and and so i developed a, a group of investors that that bought a lot of properties sold a lot of properties and they were very much based on the numbers you know is it in this area does it generate this return if so i'm going to buy it as opposed to you know, husband and wife, they look at 150 houses and don't buy anything. That was not good. So uh, that that really, some of those investors was the first entrance point into development because the market was hot and uh, we had uh, some opportunities with builders to basically buy property, entitle it, make it ready to develop, develop it, and then sell lots to builders. And so that was, that was really what the lion's share of my time in real estate, um, four, five, six years, I guess was around that uh, type of business. That was the lion's share of what I did. And that kind of morphed into representing builders with agents on site and sitting in model homes and all of those things. And uh, and it was a lot of fun. I love the art of the deal, if you will. I love putting things together. Um, but unfortunately, uh, the music stopped. And, you know, our last development, um, watching a builder walk away from a million dollars of earnest money because the market was changing wow. was like well, that was the eye opener. They said, "Oh my gosh, it's, it's really reality. that bad." Yeah, you know. So, so obviously that was '08. Yeah. And um, before we run out of time today, it goes so fast. Talk a little bit about sort of the evolution mentally for you um, for MedTrust and where all that sort of came about. Sure. Where was that birth? So, when the market changed, or the culmination of the change was kind of 2008 and nine in Charleston. And uh, I found myself, my wife and I loved real estate. We'd ride around on the weekends looking at homes in the old village and all that kind of stuff. But we, we were talking less and less about real estate because it wasn't a happy thing at that point and more and more about healthcare because she was still in healthcare. And um, at the time she had risen up the ranks and was a national director for express scripts pharmacy in their orphan disease Um area. Uh, so she actually was much more or much closer to at least the patient side of things. And so we were, we were talking about medical, we were talking about healthcare, we we're talking about how broken it was, honestly. And it, it became obvious to both of us that at some point, um, I may find my way back in healthcare, but I had been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug and I didn't want to go work for someone and I wasn't clinical. So we started, you know, just having very early conversations about what what could you do in healthcare as an owner, not being clinical. Um, there certainly wasn't a pot of cash sitting around. All of that went away with real estate going down the going down the tubes. And really, what happened is two brothers that I went to high school with. Um, one was a 
builder. The other was a mortgage broker. Uh, they called me and said, hey, um, we'd like to talk to you about um, maybe putting together a business plan to start an ambulance company. I said, what in the world do you know about ambulances? And they said, not a whole lot. <laughs> and I said, well, why the ambulance business? And they said, well, what they figured out or at least perceived to be the case was that most private ambulance companies, which, by the way, I didn't even know what private ambulance company meant at the time. But most of them are owned and or run by paramedics at the end of their career uh, who probably didn't even like transport, which is what we do. Uh, they were 911 guys that liked the blood and gore and veins in their teeth and trauma and you know all of those things. And so um, there was just this massive disconnect in the service that a private ambulance company provides and um, – and what 911 would look like. And so there, whether it be culturally or from a finance perspective or human resources, most of the low-hanging fruit was that folks were more than competent clinically, but not necessarily on basic business principles. And so that was the thing that uh, was really intriguing to me. And we looked at their area of Florence. They launched in 2011 in Florence and uh, I was still selling real estate, still needed food with my meals. And um, so I watched them do that thing and probably six or seven months in started really getting interested in doing it in Charleston. Well, perfect tee up. And unfortunately, we're out of time. Sure. So to hear the rest of the story, you'll have to come back next Saturday morning at 730 here on 94.3 to hear the remainder and uh, uh, certainly how this whole thing has been turning out. Uh, again, Josh Watts. Uh, who is the CEO of MedTrust Medical Transport. Thanks for telling the first part of the story today. Look forward to having you back next Saturday. I know, and make sure and follow us on Facebook and talk to us on Twitter, and you guys have got to come back next week. I just, that that whole story about you dropping the lunch (laughs) off, that's going to stick with me for a while. That's what makes this about, i got a feeling next Saturday when we talk about it, that's going to be on everybody's mind. Yes, yes, yes. Until next Saturday, by the way, Low Country, we look forward to having you then, and have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Tune in next Saturday morning at 7.30 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.